Lord, we just pray tonight that you would, Lord, just anoint your word. Lord, we just ask for that breath. We have sang tonight about it. But Lord, we do pray for the reality of the breath of God to come into this place. Lord, you've been so good to us as a people, Lord. Lord, we thank you for all your mighty provision and what you've given us. But, oh God, tonight it is our heart's desire for a breath of God. Lord, we cannot do it. Lord, we know it's only by your Spirit tonight, Lord, that you would move in this house, oh God. But, Lord, it's our heart's desire for a breath of God to breathe into this house, Lord, to breathe into our souls afresh, to breathe into your body. Lord, would you glorify your name? We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our seats together. In this Psalm, Psalm 66, just a couple of verses, so many great verses there that we read, but just a couple of verses I want to bring out tonight is from verse 5 and verse 6. It says, these words come and see the works of God. He is terrible and is doing towards the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in Him. You know, we are instructed in the Bible to turn and look at the children of Israel as an example for us, particularly we know in the days in which we're living upon whom uh, the ends of the world have come, that we are to look at them they're there for an example to every one of us. And to see God's mighty hand when he delivered the children of Israel from bondage out of the land of Egypt all those years ago and from under the hand of their taskmasters and from under the terror of Pharaoh and how God through his servant Moses brought a mighty deliverance and set them free. And that is a mere shadow of God's great work on the cross when he saved each of us in this room, how he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and brought us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear son. And we know that that is a, just a mere shadow of the greatness of what's happened in each and every one of our lives. But we are instructed to look to Israel and to see and to be warned uh, as they were led out by God, delivered by his mighty hand. But not only were they delivered, they were also guided by the hand of God. If you turn over into Psalm chapter 78, the Bible speaks there of not only does God deliver, but God also leads. He also guides that we are not illegitimate children, but we are the children of God. And we have a father, we have a great shepherd who is leading us, is guiding us, and who is with us. In Psalm chapter 78 and verse 52 and 53, it says these words, but made his own people go forth like sheep, guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely so that they feared not. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Here we see the type and the shadows of what the Lord is trying to reveal to us as God, as our great shepherd, as our chief shepherd who leads and guides us as sheep, we know if you're saved tonight, you're one of his sheep. And Jesus said in John 10 and 27, that sheep hear his voice and he knows them and they follow him. We're guided by the great hand of the shepherd. 
In 1 Peter 2 and 25, it says these words, For ye were sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. We have a shepherd and the bishop of our souls, and his name is Jesus. And we know there's so many scriptures we can turn to tonight to show us how God guides us, leads us, that he is our shepherd, that he is with us. Uh, the great shepherd, Psalm, Psalm 23, he, he restores, he leads, he maketh us to lie down. Our cups run over. He guides us even in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us and we see the promises of God that he'd never leave us nor forsake us, that we are divinely guided by Almighty God. In this world, we have a great shepherd. He's leading every one of us in this room. If you belong to the Lord, and then he is guiding us. He is leading us. He'll safely bring us home one day. Israel were divinely guided. In Exodus chapter 14, I want to I just point this out tonight to show you that it was God that is leading them and guiding them. Even the times of difficulty and impossibilities. In Exodus 14 and verse 1, we see here that the Lord speaks to Moses. And I know these are familiar verses, but I want you to look at it very carefully. Exodus 14 verse 1. The Bible says that the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal, Sephon, before it shall ye camp by the sea. That God specifically gave instructions to where Israel were to camp. He had just delivered them. They'd had a couple of stops, but now they were coming right up to this place by the Red Sea. It was God that divinely guided Israel right before the sea. The reason that they found themselves in this place where it was entrapment in some ways, where they were entangled in the wilderness, was not by their own efforts or by their own doing. It was God himself that had directed and guided Israel to camp at the Red Sea. This was not some mistake. You know, the Bible tells us that the steps of the good man is ordered of the Lord, that the Lord is guiding every step he has promised that he will be with us. The reason they come to this place is because God, and I'm stressing this point, God had brought them there. God had, dis God had divinely led them to this encampment right beside that Red Sea. In verse 3, this is what the Lord says of the same chapter. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, the enemy will say, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. That means that they're stuck. That's actually the original means that they're stuck in a hole. That there's actually no way out for God's people. That they're entrapped in some way. That they're entangled in some way. That it's impossible in any way for them to escape from the power of the enemy that was going to come and pursue them. And Pharaoh would say, look what the Lord has done even to his own people. There's no way out for them. They have no way to get through. It's impossible. And perhaps there's someone here tonight and that's where you find yourself, metaphorically speaking, you feel as though you're entangled in the wilderness. That you've come to a place like the children of Israel that you can't see a way forward and you certainly know that you cannot 
go back. But you find yourself entangled in that wilderness. This is a very real place that you find yourself in. Can I remind you again that we opened this chapter by being shown that the Lord himself guided Israel to this encampment at the Red Sea. It was not the enemy. It was not themselves. It was the divine guidance of Almighty God right to this encampment at the Red Sea. He was the one that led them there. So it was his responsibility to get them out of it. When we are led of the Lord, sometimes we come to places in our Christian experience where we don't see a way forward or we don't see a way back. But we must always remember that we're being led by the Good Shepherd. He knows exactly where He's bringing us to and the purpose of why He's brought us there. God had a great plan. And you might find yourself in this place tonight, but what you must know is, what what you must remember, what you have to remind yourself of is, that God had said that I would never leave you nor will I forsake you. That even when you're in this place where you cannot see, in the natural you see no way out, you see no way forward, you can see no way back, but you must know that you belong to God, that you are His sheep, that you actually have been purchased by Him, that you are His responsibility. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so we find ourselves in this place that God has placed us in, but we can't really understand why we're there. Because it doesn't seem as though there's a way forward for us. You know, I listened to a testimony a few days ago of a man, a, a true story back in the revivals in Wales. And this is before the Welsh revival. There was a, a local revival, as far as I can make out, just picking up the parts of it. But there was a minister in this large church, this great large Welsh chapels. There was one that was a two and a half thousand seater. And he had a congregation of 12. It had dwindled away down to practically nothing. And uh, he was a faithful man. He preached the gospel, preached truth. He was faithful in the work. And it got to a time where it was just impossible to keep going because to keep the building, the finances that were involved, the congregation was dwindling away. He gathered together with that small group of people and said, listen, I don't see a way forward. I don't see how we can carry on with, with the size of this building and everything else. I've, I feel that, you know, in some ways I've tried to be faithful to the Lord, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach my last service next Sunday. And then we'll close the building and you can just disperse into other flocks there and, and carry on and we'll trust the Lord. And that Sunday night came and that faithful man of God preached his message as it were, the last message as he thought that was going to be in that building. And just towards the end of this service, this is true what happened, towards the end of this service, the Holy Ghost breathed into that old building with 12 people. And suddenly everything began to change. And God made a way for that little flock when there was no way. And suddenly by the power of Almighty God, God began to move in that community. And within a short space of time, even days, the whole place was packed to the doors with men and women wanting to hear about Christ. Sometimes we are brought to the very edge. 
Sometimes we get to a place where it seems as though it's all despair and it's, it might be better just to give up, not on the Lord, but just give up in what we're doing. But just at that moment, there's a breath that comes from heaven, and it's a breath, I believe, that we need today. It's a breath when God breathes into the body of Christ, that life abundant. When he breathes through his body, we are his body, and he is the head. And how we need today a breath that comes from the very throne of God. Here God has it planned. He's allowed them to come to this place for his glory, for his purposes, and it's always for our good. But it doesn't always feel that way. But if we run by our feelings, we're going to end up in a place of much despair and even unbelief. That is the example that is set before us. Israel had just been delivered by the mighty hand of God. God had just delivered them from the greatest nation on the planet, slaves. But God had heard their groaning. He had heard them cry. He had heard them weep. And God came down and God delivered them. But we're so prone to forget the mercies of God. That's the example that we're given. We see that God is going to move on their behalf. In Exodus 14 and verse 9, if you follow it, I know you know the story well, but I believe it's good to look at it again. But Exodus 14 and 9, it says, The Egyptians pursued after them. Not only had they come to a place where there was no way forward and they were entangled, the scripture says, in the wilderness, but now they see their enemy that was coming after them. The real powers of darkness that was pursuing after God's people. You know, we are up against a real enemy. That enemy will pursue the children of God. And God will permit the enemy to do what he needs to do. But God is working a work in our lives and in our hearts of faith and obedience to him. But now they look up and they see the pursuit of the enemy in Exodus 14 and 9. And all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and the horsemen and his army. And they overtook them encamping by the sea. This word says beside Piharath, before Baal, Sephon, that is exactly where God told them to be. But yet now we see the enemies coming to where God told them that they should camp. Does God know what he's doing? And so it tells us then in verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there's no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. I mean, what a response to the mighty hand of God. What a response to the God that has just delivered them and blessed them and shown us great mercy. Now they're saying, you would have been better to leave us in the darkness and the chains of Egypt than to bring us out here to die. Why is it that you've led us to this place 
Why have you brought us to a place where it looks like the enemy is going to get the upper hand and he's going to have the victory over our lives? God, why have you done this? It's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to come out here and to be made a fool of. That's what they're saying. Who brought them to this place? It was God. And who was going to deliver them from this place? It was God. Why? Because they're his sheep and they belong to him. In Psalm 106, if you turn over, Psalm 106 and verse 7, it tells us something about the children of Israel that it should come as a warning or certainly an example or an instruction to us all. In Psalm 106 and verse 7, it says these words, all those great wonders that were manifested in Egypt through the hand of Moses, but it says this, our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. No matter what God had done, no matter the great displays of his glory and the miracles and the plagues and everything of subduing that great and mighty army and Pharaoh and his people to deliver his people, no matter what he did, no matter what they'd done, they could not remember or understand the mercies of God. They remembered not the multitude. Look what it says. They, they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. They forgot the great mercies of God. This is an example to us. This is an instruction to each of us tonight that God is saying, look at Israel, my people whom I delivered by my mighty hand, showing my mercy. Here I heard their cry. I came down and delivered them, but they forgot. They forgot the multitude of my mercies. Have you forgot the multitude of the mercies of God in your life? Have you forgot the great things that God has done in saving you, keeping you, healing you, delivering you, freeing you, filling you, constantly pouring his blessings upon you? Have you forgot the mercies of God? Have you forgot what God has done in your life, where he's brought you from and where he's brought you to? Have you forgot these great things? Have we forgot that we sit in a place of God's great provision. And sometimes, friends, we hear prayers that are so dead and so empty and so unbelieving. And yet we sit in a miracle. You sit in a chair that's been provided by God. You have clothes in your back that's been provided by God. We have heat in this room that's been provided by Almighty God. But these things don't mean anything. We forget the miraculous hand of Almighty God. Then we want things to happen. But we've forgotten the wonders. The wonder of it all that he would love us, save us, keep us, guide us, direct us, heal us, fill our hearts with his joy and his song. How God has been so good to his people, but we forget, don't we? They provoked him, it says, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, nevertheless, look at this, nevertheless, what a word that is. Nevertheless, know what it says? He saved them for his name's sake. He still did it. Sometimes we think we did it. We didn't do anything. It's all him. He does the great works that he might make his mighty power known. And then it says in verse 9, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them. And he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Not only did he redeem them, but verse 11 says, And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. 
What a mighty God we serve. You see, when there is no way, there's a wee song that says that God will make a way when there seems to be no way. How many times has God made a way for you when there was no way? How many times has he done that? How many times in your life when you have come to a place where there's no way forward and you've experienced the enemy even tormenting your mind, but then suddenly God makes a way when there's no way. In Exodus 14 and 21, we see Moses, this great man of God, Exodus 14 and 21, it says that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. A strong east wind. I tell you, brothers and sisters, more than ever before, we need a strong wind to blow. Why do we need revival? Why do we need revival? You ever asked the question, not just I would like revival, but why would we need revival? Why actually would the church need revived? Why is it that we would need God to send a wind into the body of Christ? Can I give you a few suggestions, perhaps? Is it perhaps that when the church becomes so empty of the love of God and the love for each other and the reality of that great love, a baptism of the love of Christ in the hearts of God's people, a love for God and a love for each other is no more evident, surely then would that be a reason that we need a breath? Or is it perhaps that it becomes so mechanical and so outward in its function that all that it does, it does in its own strength because of its own abilities and it's all its modern stuff that we all have, thank God for it, but it's so outward in its function that there's no power of the living God breathing through that church, reaching out into a world. Why do we need revival? The prophet said, will thou not revive us again that your people might rejoice when it becomes more or less like that we have a name, that we live, but really the reality of so much of it is that there's a terrible death, a denying of the living reality and the power of God in our lives. Why do we need revival? Do we need revival at a time when the church is as worldly as the world. When it just looks really not much different except we do this on a Sunday and they do that on a Sunday, but there's really no big difference. Do you think we need revival then? Do we need revival when the births of souls is no longer evident and it is just a barren womb when we're supposed to be a fruitful womb? And souls are born and lives are delivered. Do we need revival? Do we need revival when we come to a time when most people aren't really interested in the things of God? 
Prayer meetings are dead or empty. Prayers of faith have gone, but there's an attendance of some sorts. And do we need revival then? Do we need revival when our hearts, we know in the depths of our hearts that there's a longing, there's a desire for a move of the Spirit of God. There's a generating power. Now, I was sure in this just last night, the generating power of the Holy Ghost, when He begins to generate in the hearts of God's people, oh God, it seems like the enemy is coming and he's got the upper hand and we're caught in with this sea. But Lord, we need a strong wind to blow. We need revival when most of the operation of the gifts the manifestation of the demonstration of the kingdom of God, that these signs will follow them that believe. I'm just saying what the Bible says. These are the signs, these are the indications of believers, but there's no evidence of that anymore. Largely in the church, there's no real evidence. Do you think that's when the church needs revival? I know there's a lot of debates about revival. I know revival's even resisted. Because revival, when it comes, shakes things up stirs hearts, reveals us for what we are, recovers that which is lost, shines through the church of Jesus Christ, and Christ alone is glorified. Revival brings sleepless nights, nights of tarrying, nights of praying, nights of praising, nights of praying through into the we hours. Revival? Why do we need Revival? Why do we need revival? Is it not true that so many have just lost their first love? The passion for Jesus, the passion for Him, the passion for His Word. Is that when we need revival? Many would say we don't need revival. I would say to your friends, we're in great need. I'm in great need. We're in great need for a breath of God. When it's comfortable for people to sit and hold unforgiveness in their heart and jealousies and bitterness and loose tongues, oh, pray to God for tongues, but when it's filled with all the wrong tongues, and that's okay, I have a right to do that. We're not convicted. We're not moved. We're not challenged by the Holy Ghost. When the things of God are so light, when we'll just do it the way we want to do it, surely then, surely, somewhere in all of this, someone's got to say, God, we need revived. We need a move of God. We need a strong wind to blow through this house. That strong wind blew all night. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a night like this where the wind, and what a night we're having tonight, where the wind just kept blowing. A strong wind, it says. A strong wind from the east came and it blew. It just didn't, this wasn't a gust. 
but it blew all night, all night, all night. They made the sea dry land. The waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right and unto the left, and the wind of the breath of God. Friends, it's so true, isn't it? God makes a way when there is no way. Not only does the wind make a way, that strong wind, but that wind is essential to subdue the powers of darkness, to destroy the works of the enemy. How we need the wind of God. In Exodus 14, 23, if you follow the reading, it says that the Egyptians pursued, went in after them into the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. You know, friends, I pray that God would trouble the host of the devil's camp. <coughs> really trouble them. Really trouble them. We need, we need the wind. He took off their wheels they drove them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea. The waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Remember Psalm 106 says, there was not one of them left. God moved mightily. He makes a way when there is no way. But not only that, he destroys our enemy. And Isaiah 51 says these words, and I know this verse Nick has been on Nicky's heart for a couple of weeks. Isaiah 51 and verse 9, but says these words, Awake, <clears throat> awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. It's like the prophet in his day is speaking of times previous to him of when God rose up and God moved by his mighty power. And surely we could say tonight, God, we need you to awake. Not that he sleeps, but he's speaking of a manifestation of his power. Show yourself like you have done in previous times. Lord, come. <clears throat> come again, just like we have read of all the great testimonies of revival. We watched them, we know them, and we're well versed in them. But it's just like a cry from the prophet says, Lord, would you just do it again like you did before? You know, as reading about Smith Wigglesworth. Many people don't know this. I didn't know it. Maybe some do. But by the time Smith Wigglesworth, he was born in 1859. What a year to be born. That's the year he was born. That's in the midst of when Ulster was experiencing its great revival and a man was born, Smith Wigglesworth. And we were just watching a wee program on it last night. And then he came up to Sunderland in 1909, 1910. So 
he was in his 50s. We hear a lot about Smith Wigglesworth and his ministry, but his ministry actually didn't begin until his mid-50s. He was already operating. He functioned in Liverpool. It's good to see Chrissy. He worked there amongst the kids in Liverpool, and he labored away. He was in with the Salvation Army. He had a wee hall in Bradford. I am the Lord that healeth thee was above the pulpit. And really didn't see many things happen, but he just labored away. But then, in those years of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, when God renewed again to the church the baptism in the Holy Ghost, Smith Wigglesworth went up, hearing of the great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Just remember this, brothers and sisters. He was in his 50s when his ministry really took off. He was in his 50s. If you're in your 50s tonight, praise the Lord. It just might start. It just might be the beginning. We hear of him for 30 years up until he was 88 and died. Apparently he preached, walked into a room, sat in a chair, closed his eyes and went home to be with the Lord. That's the way you want to go, isn't it? But all the stories we read of him, he was a man that was up in years. I'm not saying 50s old, by the way. I'm just saying he was further up the line. What I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is when God fills a man or a woman with the Holy Ghost, no matter what age they are, no matter who they are, no matter their educational background, praise the Lord, no matter where they're from, a plumber from Bradford was filled with the Holy Ghost at around 57, 58 years old, and God took that man, sent him all over the world back then to preach the gospel and great healing campaigns raise the dead, heal the sick, set the prisoner free. How did that happen? Because he was hungry for God. See, we need revival when we see that there's no real appetite for God anymore. No real hunger. Yes, we say the right thing, we sing the right songs, we pray the right prayers, but there's no expectancy for it actually to happen. How we need revival. And there he is getting filled with the Holy Ghost. In the generations of old, Lord, you've done it before. Does anyone believe, not just in our intellect, but in our hearts, God, you could do it again? Does anyone believe, God, you could do it for me? Are we hungry for God? Are we desperate for God? Are we expectancy? Is there an expectancy for God to move when we pray and ask God to move? Are we actually expecting it to happen? Prophet cries, awake, put on strength. O arm of the Lord, awake in the ancient days and the generations of old. Art thou not he that cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which had dried the sea and the waters of the great deep, that had made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head, they shall obtain gladness 
and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Do you know what he's talking about? A great return. He's talking about revival. How we need the wind to blow, the wind to blow. It says just at the close of that chapter, and I'll close with this in Exodus 14, 31, it says that Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. Israel saw that great work. Oh, we need revival when we can't see God's mighty provision. We need revival when there's no thankfulness for the things of God or the mercies of God. We need revival when we're so filled with apathy, complacency, how we need revival. But they saw the great work of the Lord and the people feared the Lord, it says, and the people believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then it says in the opening of the next chapter, we know there's no chapters in the original, but then it says, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him a habitation. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. May God send a strong wind right into this place. God has done so much for us. We're off. We are glad, and we thank God. But may he now send a strong wind right through this place, not only will the building be filled, but every vessel in the building. God fill us all with the Holy Ghost. The Lord makes a way. Praise God when there is no way. May he make a way for us tonight in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you tonight for your word, who you are. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, that you would help us, each one tonight, Lord, to get into a place with you, Lord. Lord, would you forgive us, Lord, for Lord, our apathy, for our unthankfulness, for our prayers of death. Oh, God, we pray, Lord, so often our prayers are filled with unbelief. We cannot even see, Lord, your great provision, your miracles, the great things you've done, even amongst your own people, Lord. We cannot see it, Lord because, Lord, we're so filled with ourselves. So, Lord, we pray, would you empty of us of ourselves that you might fill us anew tonight, O God. O Father, we pray, Lord, you put faith in our prayers, Lord, and an expectancy, Lord, that when we call that you will answer. Lord, for those even that find themselves entrapped or entangled in that place in the wilderness, Lord, I pray that they would know tonight, Lord, that you have brought them there to show your glory to show your great power, to lead them through, Lord. Oh, God, tonight we pray, Lord, help us to look up. Help us, Lord, to look to you, oh, God. Oh, Father, we just ask, Lord, as we pray, as we seek your face, that you would anoint the next one that we pray, oh, God. Lord, fill us each one tonight with the power of your Spirit, Lord. May the wind of God blow into this place, Lord. Oh, God, awaken us from slumber and death, Lord, and apathy, 
backsliddenness, O God. Lord, familiarity, O God, comes through the motions. O God, tonight we pray for the unusual, Lord. Lord, for that sudden sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Lord, to fill the house and fill everyone in it. Lord, we need you, Lord. Lord, I pray that the wind would blow away all the cobwebs, Lord. And Lord, you'd fill us afresh tonight, Lord. With fresh fire, O God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.